Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Today's topic is, is kind of an interesting one, and, and I've, I'm excited about this new series because really it was kind of in your hands. So you guys got to choose the direction of what we're going to talk about this summer, and you guys uh, chose some pretty uh, awesome topics. And so I'm excited and I'm pumped about uh, seeing how this summer unfolds. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read a scripture, and this is going to be in First Peter. Uh, Peter was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He uh, at one point denied even knowing Jesus, and then, of course, asked for forgiveness and, and, and turned that around. And he wrote some letters uh, to the church uh, that he was discipling and so on and so forth. And this is one of the letters, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 6 of this letter. And it, it reads like this, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So he's talking to believers. He's saying, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Uh, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, they had, they, they, this was after Jesus already died, rose again, went to heaven. So they, see, these are people that have never seen Jesus, just like you and I have never physically seen him. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an, an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that, is to, that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of these things that now have been told to you um, by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven. Watch this. And even angels long to look into these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray, Lord God, that as we uh, go into your word this morning, Lord God, and as we tackle a, a, a subject that for many of us hits home, that, Lord, that we will be attentive, that our minds and our hearts will be engaged to what it is that you're wanting to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I grew up, and I tried, I, I, I wanted to we put a picture of her up here, but it just, I lost track of time. Anyway, um, I grew up uh, being able to hang out with my great-grandmother, and uh, listen, y'all, she is a, was an amazing woman, old-school Pentecostal woman, you know, hair up in bun, long dresses, no television, no anything like that, and, uh, but I loved it, and when I would go in and stay the night there, which was very frequently, every morning we'd wake up, and there'd be, like, a smell of bacon in the air, like, I think it was just, like, always, like, that was the, that was the scent of the house, was bacon, you know, and <laughs> she's from the south, and in the south, I mean, she just, you, you fry everything, right, everything's in 
cast iron, you know, you don't cook with like this nonstick stuff, like that's sin, you know, so it's all cast iron, and, and, and everything was, she, she would fry it all, so we wake up, she's like, baby, how, how you want your Cheerios? You know, I'm like, Cheerio? You know, she, I mean, she fries everything, and, and, you know, when you get there, you get close enough, all of a sudden, you get, you know, zapped by one of the grease, like, pow, and you're on the floor, like, oh, man, you know, and, and it hurts, and I remember, you know, being on the ground crying, she's like, get up. She's like, I'm going to come over here. I'm going to teach you how to cook. And my grandma, she like, I don't know, defied the laws uh, of physics because she was like a grease ninja. It never got her. She's like, you know, ting, ting, ting. The grease never got her. You know what I mean? And she's like, come over here. I'm going to show you how to do And I'm like, no, grandma, I don't want it. You're going to go over here. And I'm like, you know, close to the frying pan and it's splatting at me and I'm getting burned. She's like, this is for your own good. You're going to learn how to cook. You know, and I'm like, grandma, no, I'm only five, you know. And, <laughs> you know, and she's like, no, no, this is for your own good. This is for your own good. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes when, sometimes when we think of pain and suffering, we think of that, you know, well, maybe it's for our own good. Uh, and, <laughs> and maybe, maybe. Uh, you know, I think as we come into this question of suffering and, and evil, uh, today's topic really goes like this. Watch this. How could a good God allow bad things to happen? Write that down. How could a good God allow bad things to happen? And all of us have asked this question or a version of it, right? In fact, some of you may know somebody or maybe even you, right? That, and you cannot reconcile good God and bad things. So consequently, you are watching your faith die slowly or maybe the faith of somebody you love. And so the, the line, the, this line of questioning that this argument of evil and suffering, watch this on the screen, goes something like this. If God allows evil and suffering to continue because he can't stop it, then he might be good, but he's not all powerful. On the other hand, if God allows evil and suffering, um, uh, on the other hand, if God allows evil and suffering to continue because he could stop it, and yet he won't stop it, then he might be all-powerful, but he's not good. Either way, the good, all-powerful God of the Bible could not exist. That's how the line of argument goes. Now, on the surface, this seems like a pretty formidable argument, but actually, when you bring this statement to its logical conclusion, you will find that this statement is meaningless. And I understand that this subject is so personal and emotional that we never actually get to the logical conclusion because it's such an emotional question, right? But let me show you what you actually end up with for just a second. When we look at the letter that, for, that, that Peter wrote in 1 Peter, there, it's actually really interesting because in this letter and in the, in, in the set of, of texts that we read, what we see is the first thing he tells us is what not to do, how not to face evil and suffering, what we should not do to face evil and suffering. And then he tells us three ways to face it. This is First Peter. Now, look, the, the, this whole epistle, this whole letter is addressing people who have suffered and who are about to suffer a great deal more. And when we experience sort of horrendous suffering and catastrophe, uh, one of the ways that we respond to it sometimes is we back off or even abandon our belief in God. 
And, and it's almost perfectly natural because a lot of people do it. When, when horrible things happen to us, we sort of uh, just sort of take a step back from our faith. We, we, we sort of think about God, is this really, you know, uh, are you really paying attention? Are you really there? Do you really matter? Do you really care about us, right? And, and notice what, what Peter says in verse six and seven. And let me just point out a few words. He says this, he says, you had to, that, that you had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. Why? He says, so your faith may result in praise and glory and honor. In other words, he says, the pain you're going through now and the suffering you're going through does not have to weaken your faith or destroy your faith, but it can strengthen it. In fact, it ought to strengthen it. Amen. Well, wait a minute. How does that happen? That sounds great, but how does that happen, right? Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but just for a moment, I want us to consider what Peter is saying. He is saying that in the face of evil and suffering, abandoning your belief in God does not actually help anything at all. Do you catch that? Yeah. It, it doesn't help you understand suffering. It doesn't help you handle suffering. Abandoning your belief in God doesn't help at all. Why not? Why not? Well, for instance, you know, um, if there's no God, then somebody could say, well, this law is unjust. But that would only be according to their standard. Well, why should their standard be privileged over someone else's standard? See, if there's no God, then, then, then it's exactly as, uh, 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 it's exactly as a philosopher, De, uh, sorry, Dostoevsky, I can never say his name right, and I practice it like a hundred times, Dostoevsky, anyway, whatever. This is what he says. He says, if God did not exist, everything is permitted. If God does not exist, we have neither behind us nor before us a luminous realm of values nor any means of justification or any behavior whatsoever. Wow. Wow. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, if there's no God, then you might have feelings that something is wrong or unjust, but that's all they are. They're just feelings, right? It, it, it's just in your, it's just, you're just DNA. That's it. On what basis is there, it, 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 could you possibly say that something is right or wrong if there's no God? How could you object to a natural order? In other words, in nature, violence is natural. How can you object to violence? If there is no God, how can you say violence is unnatural? In fact, um, Oxford biologist Richard Dawkins, he says this, that DNA neither cares or knows. We just dance to its music. So to the terrorists of 9-11, to, to those that show up on schools and start shooting, they're just dancing to their DNA. You see, if you don't believe in God, then suffering and evil is actually a bigger problem. It's actually a bigger problem for you than if you do. So even though this may be a tough question, get this, it is only legitimate if God is in the equation. The minute you take God out, the question is not legitimate anymore. And my point is this, getting rid of your belief, and Peter's point is, getting rid of your belief in God is to, is to handle evil and suffering in a wrong way and in a way that will not help. Getting rid of your belief in God in order to understand suffering won't help you. In fact, one of my favorite authors named Chesterton, look at what he wrote. This rings so powerfully when he says this, when belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away from him, but in heaven's name to what? 
Remember when Jesus asked his disciples uh, about if they were gonna if they were gonna desert him too? And in John six eight, uh, Peter replies this: "Lord, to whom shall we go? Right? Where, where can we go to get an answer?" And so Peter says, "Listen, abandoning your faith in, in God isn't the way to do it." Okay, so then what is the way to explain evil and suffering? What is the way to handle it, to face it? Because it's very real. Many of you suffer, are suffering in some way right now. Many of you know the taste of evil and it has tainted your life right now. You're sitting here. So how can we do that? Well, I guess we can kind of characterize what Peter is saying in in these three ways. Ready? Number one, you have to look back to something. Number two, you have to look ahead to something. And number three, you have to look into something. And we'll get to those other two in a minute, but we're going to start with the first one. You have to look back to something. Notice in the passage, and he also says this in chapter four, Peter likens suffering and pain and trouble to fire. Do you see that? He says it's like fire. He says he, he likens it to a furnace that you put gold through, right? And then you put metals through. Now that's very powerful imagery that that trouble and suffering are like fire. It's like a fiery furnace that you put metals through to refine. And it's a wonderful metaphor um, and you can get a lot out of it when you really think about it. But did you know that one time in the Bible, this lets us know that this actually historically happened. That one time this happened and Peter might've had this historic event in mind when he wrote this. But in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar had put up a giant statue of himself and said, listen, everybody needs to bow down. When the music starts, everybody bows down. If you don't bow down, then you're going to be executed. And how you were executed was you were thrown into a fiery furnace, right? And, um, and so, and, and, and not only were you thrown it, but this furnace was so hot that what kind of sucked was that the people that they had throw in them, those people that were throwing guys in, they too would die because of how hot the furnace was. And so they, they so they, 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 they have these three teenage boys, you know, teenagers and, uh, these three teenage boys and they're like, no, we ain't going to bow. We ain't going to bow to that golden image. Right. And, 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 but they weren't just three teenage boys. These were three teenage boys that madly loved God. And, and, and they said, listen, we're not going to bow to that. We're not going to worship that because, because we worship God. And, and so King Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, fine, you're out. And so they go and, 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 and bind them up, put them in the fiery furnace. And obviously from a safe distance, the king's watching. And then all of a sudden the king says something interesting. He says, wait a minute. He says, didn't we put three people in there? He says, why is it that I see a fourth person in the fire walking around? And he says, get those guys out of there. I see four people in there. Get those four people out of there. They turn everything off. They open everything up. And three boys walk out. Three boys walk out. Who was that with them in the fire? One of the things we know right off the bat is in Hebrew scriptures, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, God gives us a promise. And here it is, ready? In Isaiah chapter four, he says, fear not, I have redeemed you. When you pass through waters, I will be there. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. What a powerful promise. But notice the promise. The promise says this, or actually notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, if you go through waters, 
or if you go through the fire. It doesn't say that. He says, when you go through waters and when you go through the fire, that's the promise. The promise is you're going to go through some stuff. Look at somebody next to you. You're going to go through some stuff. 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 Tell the other person that you chose not to talk to and say, I am going through some stuff. I am going through some stuff. I am going through some stuff. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now's the time to pass out the mints. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Listen, and he says, that he doesn't say when, he doesn't say if, he says when. He says when you go through it. Notice what theologian D.A. Carson says about this. He says, when you plunged into the fiery furnace, God says, I will so care about you. I will so love you. And you will so be able to sense my love and my presence with you. It will be as if I'm walking with you. And if you sense me walking with you, you won't be consumed. You won't be consumed. And it doesn't mean you won't feel pain. It means the pain won't destroy you. It means you're going to come out of this. I'm a survivor, right? Listen, you're, you're, you're going to, yeah, oh, oh, turn up, inspire. Okay, okay, right? We need to get these lights going. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Jesus, forgive me. Okay, watch this. And so, <laughs> it, it means the trouble isn't going to make you bitter. It doesn't have to turn you sour. You don't have to become an angry person or, 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 or a defensive person or a walled-in person. It doesn't have to do that. But when you realize that when you go through these things and Jesus Christ is with you, when you serve him and you love him and you have that relationship, he is there. And then all of a sudden, you, you see the splendor of it all, you see. And it actually strengthens your faith. You say, well, Pastor Roger, that was a very inspiring Old Testament story. That's great. But how do I know it's true? I mean, how do I know that promise that he's going to suffer is true? How do I know that? The answer is in the New Testament. See, when in the Old Testament God says, I will be with you in the furnace of affliction, it's not until you get to the cross of Jesus Christ that you know how far God is willing to go to make good on that promise. See, down there in verses 10 and 11 of what Peter writes, it talks about prophets like Isaiah. These prophets spoke of a grace that was to come to you and predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would be revealed. Only in Christianity, check this out, only in Christianity of all religions in the world says that God, Jesus Christ, became vulnerable and subject to suffering and pain and died in shame. See, most heroes of faith die being proud, die with their head up high. Only in Christianity does their hero, and not just hero, but God, have his head hung between the locks of his shoulders. See, and it's on the cross. that If you've lost a loved one, then to our astonishment, we look at the cross and we see the father losing his only son. If you are screaming out in pain, why God, why? We look at the cross and all of a sudden we realize that Jesus also screamed and said, why, father, why? Don't you see it? that it's amazing? He suffered everything that we suffer, but far more. Oh, but far more. You see, what do you mean, but far more? Oh, he suffered way more than we did. 
Because Jesus Christ did not just suffer what we suffer on the cross. His sufferings went way beyond the physical and emotional and mental. He was experiencing cosmically what we as humanity deserved. With the natural consequence of wanting to be away from somebody. What is the natural consequence of wanting to be some way somebody? To be away from somebody. That's the consequence. If you say, I don't want to be around you. I don't want you controlling my, wa- my life. I-, I-, I, want to- I want to be away from you. Then the natural consequence of that is this. Okay, be away from me. You see. And because the human race wanted to be and wants to be. We want to be our own masters. We want to be away. There's something with, we, we don't want God to control us. We want to be in charge. The natural consequence is then to be cast out of the presence of God. But when you are cast out of the presence of God, you are cast out of the very life and the very light and the very source of joy and peace, you see. On the cross, Jesus Christ uh, d- did not just experience physical torment, but he was being cast out of the very presence of God and was experiencing cosmic, cosmic, absolute, utter, infinite suffering. So now do you see? Yeah. See, so let's take this question about evil and suffering, why evil and suffering, let's take that to the cross. Let's put it to the cross Let's put, and say, God, why do you allow evil and suffering to continue? And the cross can tell you what the answer to that question is not, what it can't be. It can't be because he doesn't love us. It can't be because he doesn't care or he's remote or he's indifferent because he came and he plunged himself not just into the fiery furnace, of our sufferings, but into an infinite degree beyond anything we can ever suffer. He loved us that much. He was willing to come and plunge into our sufferings and experience it so much that, write this down, so someday he could end all evil without ending us. Catch that? The implications are vast. How do we want to deal with evil and suffering? Number one, we need to look behind Number two, we have to look to something ahead. The second thing you have to do is look forward to something. You have to look ahead to something, and what is it? Well, at the very top of the section, notice what Peter says. He says, you have been made born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Look at that. Kept in heaven until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time or in the last days, right? Now, that's a mouthful. But what what is he saying? First of all, that you cannot go through the furnace of affliction without a living hope. Without a living hope. Hope is, is obviously a hope for something in the future, but a living hope is a power. It's something that drives you. It's something that really gets you through the furnace. What, what, what is that? What is that living hope? Well, 1 Corinthians lets us know. Look at this. 1 Corinthians lets us know, and he says, Behold, the trumpet shall sound. Here's our living hope. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written shall come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. 
See, that's the hope. That's the living hope that one day we're going to be able to know that, that pain and evil and suffering and death has been swallowed up in victory. We'll be raised again and we'll be able to look at death and say, where's your sting? We'll be able to look at the grave and, and, and say, where's your power grave? See what he's saying? In other words, God is not preparing us a, sp a spiritual heaven that will be compensation for the life in this world that we lost. That's not what he's doing. Resurrection isn't compensation for the life we, we, we lost. Resurrection is restoration for that life. See, the new heavens and the new earth means this world, your body, my body, which, you know, I'm hoping will be a little bit different by then, but praise you, you know, you know. I'm still, I'm still getting it on, praise God, you know. That your loved ones, your homes, restore, it'll be restored to you, purified, beautified. This world, this universe, this body, it all comes back. It all comes back. Look at somebody next to you say, it all comes back. I'll be back, baby. They're like, I'll be back, baby. They're like, oh, Lord, Jesus, you know. Right? It, but unfaded, imperishable, unspoiled, right? In fact, he says, he goes as far and says, death will be swallowed up by victory. What does that mean? What does that even look like? The only way I think that can, in way of an illustration, come even close, and this is by far not perfect, is this. Is, is there anybody here that is like a vivid dreamer? I'm a vivid dreamer. Like, I will remember, I dream every night. I remember them for two or three days. I'll remember it every night. I'm a vivid dreamer. And uh, for anybody that, uh, I've, maybe I've, I've shared this illustration before, I never get into the details of it because it's just crazy. But I uh, had a dream. I fell asleep. I kissed my girls goodnight. Uh, Becky and I prayed, uh, all that stuff. We watched some TV, whatever we did. We went to sleep, whatever we did. You know, went to sleep. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> hey! Jesus. And uh, <laughs> I was tired, and I went to sleep. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I had this dream uh, that my girls were slaughtered. Yeah. In fact, it was so bad that I woke up and, and, and I just, it, you know that where, where you're not sure what's real and you, know, you kind of wake up and you're like, what's going on, you know? And, uh, and you're like, I'm having that right now. I don't know, you know, <laughs> wake up. Okay. And so, you know, you, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh. And so I ran to my girl's room and, and I saw them there sleeping quietly, beautifully, innocently, and I just began to weep for joy. Well, what happened? Why did I do that? What happened? See, having gotten them back, as it were, the experience of losing them made the experience of having them back infinitely greater. It's almost like the experience of losing them had been swallowed up by the experience of having them. So it was infinitely more precious. I know that that's a very dim hint of what's talking about here, but paradise lost becomes paradise restored. See, if Jesus Christ's resurrection had happened, and it did, it means our resurrection is going to happen, and it will. You see? Then that means everything sad and, and everything horrible is going to be brought up into our future glory and resurrection and making it infinitely better than it would have been if we would have never had those experiences at all. Are you, this is deep stuff. Did you hear what I said? I'm going to repeat it just in case you didn't get, catch it, right? The future glory will, that, that we are going to experience will be infinitely better than it would have been if we had not have had any of these experiences at all. How do you face evil and suffering? 
But we know that taking God out of the equation isn't the answer because then you can't call something good or bad or what is right, what's wrong, what's evil, right? How do we face it? We have to look back to something. We have to look ahead to something. And number three, we have to look into something. It's very interesting at the end of the passage, there's something we have to look into. Look at this in verse 12, it says, they spoke of the things that were now told to you by those who preached the gospel to you. Preached the gospel to you. Everybody say the gospel. The gospel. Okay, that wasn't everybody. Come on, Inspire. Everybody say the gospel. The gospel. All right. I've, I'm glad. Five of you just said it louder, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, Pastor Roger, I have a donut in my mouth. Don't bother me. <laughs> Watch this. To the gospel, into which these things, even the angels long to look. In fact, that word long right there, longing, that actually means lust. That the angels were, are, are, are intently, they're, they're obsess, obsessively, passionately looking into the gospel. They're looking at the story of God saving us through Jesus Christ. And that's amazing. Listen, angels have been around much longer than we have. Much longer than humanity. They're smarter than us. And yet, they look into the gospel and they never tire of it. They, they, they look into the story about how Jesus died on the cross and, and, and three days later rose again. And, and, now we, and now we who want, who, anybody who wants to believe in him and accept him can be adopted to this family. They look into that all the time. Throughout, uh, th- continuously, they're astonished by it. They're constantly looking at it. Why? I'm glad you asked. Good question. Watch this. Let's look at this main question again. Be on the screen. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? What's interesting about that question right there is that when we ask it, we are often asking that from thinking about the evil things out there, the bad stuff out there, right? And not the bad stuff in here. Right? Let's ask a follow-up question, all right? Ready? Have you ever done anything bad? Have you ever done anything bad? And listen, I don't mean murder, right? I'm not talking about like the slaughtering of kittens or anything. You know, just, uh, just, you know, just, you know. But, but I mean, you know, you know, got, you know, I don't know, got, got angry, did something bad, you know, cussed somebody out, was mean to somebody, bullied somebody, talked down to somebody. Maybe, maybe you wanted to get back at somebody to prove a point. Um, Becca, who is not in the room right now, um, she is teaching the, the, the children's ministry, so I get to tell this story, praise God. Um, <laughs> Becca and I, we were, we were, got into an argument about whatever, I don't even know now, right? You, you never remember those things. But we got into, we're, we were arguing back and forth, and I, I, and I did something wrong. Um, I know I did. You say, how do you know if you don't remember? Because 99.9% of the time, I did something wrong. And so, it really, that's, you know. And so, we're driving, and I, I think I got frustrated because she was taking a long time, had to get to an appointment or something like that, and I was going to be late, and I'm like, come on, get in the car, you know. And so, we're driving, you know, and as we're driving, you know, and, and we're, we're, just, we're not talking. We got to that point, we're not talking. You know what I mean? <laughs> Turn on the music, and we're just like, you know. And, um, and so I'm driving, and she's sitting there. And ladies, you'll do this. You'll do this. And, 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 and watch this. And so my exit's coming up. But I'm so mad that I'm not even paying attention. I'm just driving. I don't know where I'm driving to. I'm just driving, right? Don't know where I'm going. Just driving. Just, you know, you know, get out of the way. Huh? You know, and, and, and she's just sitting there, you know, and she sees the exit coming up, and she's like, 
And in her mind, she's probably saying, how stupid is he going to be today? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm driving, and she decides she ain't going to say nothing. She ain't going to say nothing. And she goes. <laughs> and, then, and then she decides to say this, and she goes, well, Roger, you passed the exit. Now we're late because of you. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Watch. Have you ever done anything bad? Right? Now you're like, okay, wait a minute. It's so interesting because when people wrestle with good God, bad things, it's always the evil out there and it's never the evil in here. And, and instead of asking, how could a good God allow evil to happen? Watch this on the screen. Why don't I ever hear, how could a good God allow me to happen. How could a God, good God? See, we want God to get rid of evil, but when we say that, for whatever reason, you're not including yourself. You might be including the people sitting next to you, so in front of you, you know, right? But, you know. Or here's another version of it. If God was good, he would have done something about me by now. As I go to conclude this message, I want us to think about this. You know, it's one of those things where you're like, you know, Pastor Roger, I'm, I get what you're saying, and we're going to wrap up with some worship, but watch this. Uh, I get what you're saying, but, but I'm, I'm talking about, like, the real bad stuff, you know, the real evil stuff. I'm not talking about, like, the little bad things in my heart. Friend, how do you think the big bad stuff begins? see how do you think that bi the big evil stuff begins are you catching that where is that from how does it start off so now the question is this here's here's now here's the question how does god get rid of evil without getting rid of me how does god get rid of evil without getting rid of me and that is why we have to look into the gospel. That's why we look into the gospel. That's why we always need to be looking into the gospel. Because the more you see how much God loves you anyway. See, the Bible says that he died for you while you were enemies of him. See what I'm saying? While you were haters of him. You, you see what I'm saying? He died for you while you despised him. He didn't die for you when you loved him, when you were good, when you guys were cool, when you had a relationship with him and everything was that. No, 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 no. When, when you, you have to understand, he died for all of humanity when humanity rejected him. He died for him anyway. When you look into the gospel and you look into more about what Jesus did and who Jesus is and why Jesus did it, then you can't take your eyes off him. I mean, it just, it, it's just, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Because you see that he went into the ultimate fiery furnace of affliction. And this is what the promise is. Here's the promise. The promise isn't, listen, you're not going to have to walk through fire. The promise is, I'm going to be the type of God that's going to walk through it with you. Talk to her,
I don't know what your fiery furnace is. Could be a lot of things. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the son or daughter that's in drug rehab that you didn't ever in a million years think you'd have to figure this out. Maybe it's the miscarriage that you're still trying to deal with. Maybe it's the doctor's report that you weren't anticipating and you thought that you had several more years. Maybe it's the memory of the abuse that you have still never told anybody about. Maybe, it's, maybe your fiery furnace is the fact that you're always dealing with depression and insecurity and, and feeling like you're failing. Listen, from someone who, who watched their dad drown on his own bodily fluid from cancer at the age of 15, went to foster homes, saw horrible things. Mom was a prostitute. I learned how to sell heroin at the age of 11. We were in an old, ruddy hotel. We watched her get abused. Right? And then I thought I had it bad until I went into the foster system and I saw that there were people that had it way worse than I did. But I can tell you that God is with us in our fiery furnace. And maybe you just, maybe you just haven't tapped in to who Jesus really is and how much he loves you and what the gospel really means for you. And maybe, maybe you think you're in the furnace alone. Because you're, here's why. Because you don't expect a God to be in there with you. You expect God to be outside of the flames. So you're looking out there and over here and you're looking here and there for help and aid when you just gotta turn around. Listen, bro, he's there. That's the gospel. He died for you, he rose again. Can we stand? We're going to sing a worship song right now. And listen, as I'm talking, I'm not, I'm not trying to call people out, but I see tears rolling. And, and I see some people, you're just intently engaged. Others of you have started to look at your phone because this has become too much. This is, you don't want to think about it. Right? You don't want to deal with it. But, but can, I just, can I just say this? The love of Jesus Christ is here today. And you're going through these things not because he's trying to destroy you, but because he's trying to build you. Not because he's trying to get you farther from him, but because he's trying to show you the kind of God he is. See, the relationship I have with my wife can be fantastic and amazing, but until she goes with me, not just in my successes, but until she stands with me through my struggles, that's when I realize who she really is to me. That's when I realize what our relationship is about. God's just revealing himself to you through it. He's just revealing himself to you through it. I pray that this song ministers to you and I'll be back in just a minute to, to close us out in prayer won't you engage Jesus Christ because he's here
you know, if um, this is this is a difficult topic, hard topic to talk about. Am I on here? There we go. And uh, let, let me just say this: if if you're here today, can you guys hear me? Okay. If, if you're here today and uh, you you want me to pray with you, just would you come find me after service? I'm just going to be kicking it up here for a few minutes. And can you hear me? No? Okay. There we go. There we go. Better. Yeah. If if you're here today and, and you want some prayer, you want me to just pray with you? Whoa. There we go. And uh, just come find me. I, I, would, I would love to pray with you. As one person that has his own fiery furnaces to another, to just encourage you and and pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we lift you up right now, God. And Lord, we want to place our trust in you. We want to build our life on your word because you are the only true foundation. Anything else we try to build our life upon, God, as high as it may get, it will eventually shake and crumble. But Lord, when we build it on you, Lord, then no matter the waves or the winds or the storms that may come, we have a good foundation and we will be able to stand. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody here that that sees evil, that experiences bad things, but also, Lord, that knows inside of their heart, God, that we do bad things. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you just minister to us, speak to us, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.